to wrap up the title, I wanted to do something kind of bigger and worthy of the event. I also wanted to like try to go a little bit deeper than some of your average tournament coverage goes. Um, and so I got on the phone with a whole bunch of different dudes uh, for this show. Um, it is definitely, uh, let's say, inspired by some of the recaps that uh, have been done on BTL lately. Um, but I really only had one thing to do, so I just kind of went all in. Um, we start off with, uh, I think, Josh Bragg. I kind of have these guys in no particular order, but uh, we've got Josh Bragg on the show. He goes in-depth about his pattern, where he ended up fishing, all that jazz. Uh, Dakota E. Bear, Kurt Mitchell, Jacob Wall, all guys who made the championship round. And then also Andrew Loberg, who didn't make the championship round, uh, missed the knockout round, actually, I believe, if I you know, have it right in my head. But uh, he fished fairly close to takeoff and did really well on day one. And I thought it was you know interesting. I wanted to include it. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of St. Lawrence River information here. Uh, it's a bit of an informal, uh, Toyota series preview, to be honest. And, uh, it'll probably help some people, uh, figure out how to catch a bass there. It definitely gave me some ideas. Um, and I have occasionally caught a bass there, also occasionally not. Um, but anyway, hope you enjoy this. I hope it goes well. All these guys have social media. If you just search for their name, you'll find them. Um, and the one other thing I would say is, also on the feed, there is a very good in-depth interview with Spencer Shuffield that covers how he actually won the event. So there's a couple of little snippets of that in and around this. And then if you want to dive into just Shuffield, that's also on the feed right now. So uh, I would say uh, thanks for listening. And uh, here are some St. Lawrence River experts, or if not experts, guys who just did extremely well in a big tournament. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Josh Bragg, who uh, finished really well in the title. And Josh, you had one of, as far as I can tell, the most mysterious tournaments of anyone in the field. Because it seemed like every day you had like one bass at 11 o'clock, and then you came in with 20 pounds. Yeah, man, it was uh it was a unique uh event for me. Um the first two days, actually the first two days, the bite, you know, we 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 were there on a full moon. So the first two days are either it was a full moon or the full moon was going away. And the first two days I actually caught um the the fish actually bit pretty early, pretty quick for me. Um Specifically, the second day, um, as soon as I got there, I caught like a three and a half and another one about three. And then by 10 o'clock, I had 19 pounds by 10 o'clock um, the second day. So, But then the last two days, yeah, the last two days, it just seemed like the bite for me, in which I had to scramble a little bit to some couple of different spots. Um, but the bite seemed to be better a little bit later in the day. Were uh, were you still seeing the fish? Because I mean, we've got we've all got live scope or active target or you know whatever your preference is these days. Like, were the fish there and just not eating, or did you have to find them? 
So um, the first two days, both both of my bags the first two days come off the, the same 150-yard drift. Um, and, and I don't know, the third day um, – so the third day I had some mechanical issues and I didn't get down there till later in the day. Okay. And, um, I, I did not see as many fish on my main stretch and, um, I lost a pretty good one pretty quick. And everyone knows when you lose a small mouth, whether you break it off or just lose it, he goes down and tells all of his buddies and it's very difficult <laughs> to get a bite on, on those, on places when that happens. And, and I don't know if, if that's what happened, whatever, but, you know, the third day I scrambled around by 11 o'clock and I didn't have a fish. So I said, I've got to adjust. And I went to some couple more places that, you know, I had had decent bites and practice on and finally ran into them about 12.15. Okay. You were running all the way down to Clayton. What time did you have to leave? The latest I, I felt comfortable leaving was would be 1.30 every day. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really a never give up situation. That's cool. It's twelve fifteen, and you know you need to catch twenty pounds. Like that's solid. <laughs> yeah, twelve fifteen on the third day, I had zero fish, zero fish. Um, but that for, that final day, did you were you able to run right to them, or what was the deal then? <laughs> so I I got down there the the final day. Um, I actually pulled up on the original place. Well. The, the place that I caught my the first two-day fish off of and the third-day fish off of were within sight of each other. Okay. So I could see. And I was going to go to the place where I caught them the third day on the final day. And there was – so on the third day, when I was catching all those fish pretty quick, there was a couple local boats that was watching me. And um, so when I got down there the fourth day – one of those boats was sitting on, on the, on the stretch. And, um, so I went to the place where I caught them the first two days and, um, they just weren't there. I, I was seeing like very, very scattered fish. Of course, it was very overcast, cloudy, um, drizzly rain. Um, so, um, they just, they weren't there. And, finally was able to get over to the place i caught him the third day and i called a two and a two and three quarter two and a half pretty quick and then the winds were were supposed to come out of the south that day south southwest and they actually come out of the east more northeast to east more than they did the south and it was crashing and i just couldn't i mean there was like three and a half footers rolling into my side and the way that that spot laid out, I really needed a South wind for it and I just couldn't fish it. And, uh, I scrambled around to the third place I had in practice really wasn't even a place I had planned on fishing in the tournament and they were there. So unfortunately I caught 20 pounds, one ounce in there again in about 45 minutes. I mean, that is some quick work. Like it's really, it's impressive on the other hand, it's kind of feels like, man, what could have been if you had had just a little right. better fortune or if you had just adjusted even like, you know, 30 minutes faster. You know what I mean? Like, right. it feels like I definitely I feel like I was definitely around the quality because every day I had a fish 
close to six pounds, and then the final day I had one that was pushing six and a half. Wow. And one and one that was pushing five and a half. And I lost the fish the final day. I really well, I know it would have called a the last day I, I weighed a one ninety seven and I lost another fish in the five pound range. Off the same place I caught the six and a half and five and a half. So that would have probably won the tournament. Or been really close, right? Math wise. Uh-oh. Winning fish. I might have lost but, you there. But, you know, that, that's fishing. Yeah, I, I really feel like that that fish that I lost um, was was the winning fish, you know. Okay. Um, how, what The stuff you were fishing described to me, was it all kind of the same type of structure? Did you have, were the, was there a variety between each of these spots? It, it, what, what were you targeting? Every spot that I fished had a real steep drop on it. Like that went from 30 to 50 to 60 feet. And every one of the spots had a lot of current hitting on that, on, on that steep drop. Okay. That's pretty classic. And most of them had, yeah, this, yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it's pretty, you know, smallmouth likes the steep, you know, the steep areas, you know, and, and it was, it was just a class. I mean, every, every place set up exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And then how were you like, what were you using bait wise? Like, how were you catching your fish? Did you notice that change throughout the week on you at all? Or did you just be, were you able to put one rod in your hand? No, I mean, I, I caught them on two different things. I caught them on a, a Ned rig. Um, and then I caught them on a drop shot. Basic, you know, everybody throws them, small mouth, love them. I didn't really, you know, have to change up much. Um, the first couple of days, they really bit the Ned rig better than they did the drop shot. And then the final two days, they bit the drop shot better than they did the Ned rig for me. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, I mean, it makes sense to show them both things, but it's interesting that you like legit noticed a difference day to day because some days i sometimes like with that i just don't understand why that would be you know what i mean but the fish do apparently <laughs> right the only thing i can figure is you know some days they feed down and some days they feed up you know and you know sometimes they want to eat something on the bottom sometimes they want something up off the bottom uh, and okay. i don't know if that's barometric pressure or if that's cloud cover versus sun cover, um, you know, I, I don't know. I hear you. Um, for your Ned rig, you were using, I think, a 3 8 ounce, which, you know, is pretty heavy, but when you're dealing with that much water depth, it's not super heavy. How are, how are you bringing that across the bottom? Like, is it a very steady bottom contact? Is it a tick, half a second tick, half a like? You know, are you very yeah. lightly brushing it across? Are you on it pretty solid? What's that like? Yeah, you know, um, there's so much current on that river. Um, I was just doing a basic drift where you just kind of let it, you know, try to keep in contact with it as your boat drift drifted with the current, you know, and just let it bounce with the current, you know, not letting it get too far away from the boat or, you know, get not let the boat, um, let it get by the boat. You know, you wanted to keep it 
in contact with it as the boat drifted. Okay, so you're almost fishing at like kind of fairly vertical then, or were you not? Yeah, okay, not you were. Yeah, pretty pretty close to vertical. Um, sometimes it would be ten to fifteen foot in front of the boat, you know. Yeah, but I at thirty like, feet, you know, it's it's pretty, you know, it's not with it being only that distance in front of the boat. You know, it's not completely vertical, but it's pretty pretty close to being vertical. Yeah, no no doubt. I. I feel like I've seen two schools of how to drift and one of it is like that sort of very close to vertical, very defined bait control approach. And then I've got some buddies who like let out like a surprising amount of line and like, I don't really know how they do it, but I've seen it. And so I'm, I like to like keep tabs on who's doing what just to, I don't right. know, just to, just to you know, can, I guess. For, for, for me up there, I, I tried to make it a, a decent, uh, cast and, and doing it that way. And I could get bit that way, but a lot of times what happens, I feel like is all those zebra muscles on the bottom. When you make a further cast that way, a lot more of your line is more than likely going to drag across some of that zebra muscle, especially if there's any rocks that sticks up a good piece off the bottom, which is St. Lawrence just full of rocks. And I think you you t- stand a bigger chance of nicking your line and then breaking it once you hook up. Yeah, that makes sense. On a long on a longer, you know, um, drift like that. For sure. I guess my last question: When it came to going to Clayton, which is a pretty significant run, did uh, in practice or pre-practice, did you decide ahead of time this is where I'm going to go? that's where I'm going to look and you boxed yourself in or did you try to look at a lot of the river and just end up there? You know, what was the strategy around that? So last year, 2021 rookie year, final event of the year, I'm, I'm in the cut to make the title championship. I got, I kind of done my, my research and, you know, research says you all to win, you got to go to Clayton. So I boxed myself in last year of only doing that. And finished 124. That event, yeah, finished 124th, and that event knocked me out of the title. And I said, when I saw it on the schedule this year, if I make it, I am not getting boxed into Clayton. So the first day of practice for the title, I put in at Waddington. And I spent a full day from um the lock up to Messina. I covered as much of that water up there as I possibly could. And I, I mean I didn't have a bad day. I mean I had twenty to twenty one pounds up there, but it was very one fish random type bites. You know, I, I couldn't whether it was a drift or a point or whatever, I couldn't get more than one of those quality bites off of any spot. And I did not want to make the run to Clayton. I didn't even want to have to, like, deal with something happening or, you know, getting down there and not being able to catch them and and getting in a rush. And so it was kind of like the demons in your head fighting whether you spend your second day of practice back at Messina or back in the Waddington area, the upper area of the river, or second day of practice you spend down at Clayton. And I decided the morning, the morning of the second 
day of practice, I said, I've got to go at least try Clayton area, you know, and see if I can get some bites down there. And had a really good day, had quite a few bites, quite a few quality bites, and I could get multiple bites off of one place. So, you know, I kind of, to me, that kind of told me what I needed to do. And so I just made the run. Yeah, no, that's, it seems like that kind of can be the case a lot of times with Clayton where like, you don't want to get drawn in there, but then once you go there, it's good enough that guys decide, man, I got to go do this. And boy, if you look at the history, it's a really good way to win a tournament uh, out of Messina is to make that long run. (laughs) That's true. And Uh, I think that played out because I think there was a couple of guys or a few guys that the first day done really well up in the upper end around Waddington, Messina area you know, um, done really well, but it just doesn't seem like it can hold up in a three or four day event up there. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you look at just day one of the, uh, qualifying, you know, for group a, uh, Andrew Loberg caught him really good. Mm -hmm. Close, close there. Uh, Mitch Crane Mm -hmm. caught him really good around Ogdensburg. Um, and I guess that's the, and then Brian Latimer, even he caught 19 pounds and he was fishing real close. And uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, David Walker caught 18. He was fishing around Ogdensburg. And that really, it was definitely hard to con- keep that consistency, which you would think it'd be easier because you've got all day. But evidently, that's right. not the case. Yeah, it seems that way. And, and that that river system is so massive. With two days of practice, there's so much water to cover from the lock there at Waddington up to Messina, you kind of have to, to me, you have to kind of have to break down the St. Lawrence River in a kind of a, a to me, is a three-part, the way I look at it, three-part river system. You got the lock to, to Messina is one section from the lock to, um, say, Chippewa Bay, which is, a, both areas are massive. They're huge, especially when you throw, being able to fish the Canada side in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got you know, from Chippewa Bay down to, you know, the off-limits area below yeah, Clayton which, there. That, that whole area is probably uh, wider than any part of the river. It's got any yeah. amount of flow you could imagine, you know. And That's right. It's got And there's just so much fishable. Bottles. That's right. So much fishable water. Um, so I didn't even get to practice that midsection, what I call the midsection, Ogdenburg, um, um, what is it, uh, Morristown. To Chippewa Bay, that area. I didn't even get to practice that area. If you were going to go fish the title again tomorrow, start practice fresh, what do you think you would do now that you've had, you know, nope. another tournament in your pocket at the St. Lawrence? No question. It would be I'd practice it. I'd put in at Clayton and fish that area of the, the river. No question. All right, we're joined now by Dakota Ebert, who uh, had another fantastic tournament, another fantastic smallmouth event, and finished second at the title. Uh, Dakota, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, it's funny you're laughing. You're laughing, I'm laughing. It's like you're laughing at the second thing, and, you know, I, I know why, but it's okay. <laughs> I mean, look, it pays well and all, but we are going to get that first. It's going to happen. I know it. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, due time, all in due time. Um, but anyway, man, I guess off the uh, like sort of right off the bat, you ran to Clayton. Did you practice and say I am a hundred percent going to Clayton? Did you explore other areas? What was that strategy? Well, you know, I, I hate to put so much emphasis on the Clayton area because it, it's frustrating because then a lot of guys end up. <laughs> Everybody thinks like that's where you have to be to win the tournament, and and you know I've whenever I first started fishing up there in 2018, you know the tournament was out of Clayton. The tournament mm-hmm. were out of Clayton, and um, that was just the area that I learned. You know, I learned that area because you, you could you know if the wind wasn't blowing, you could easily run to the lake. So if the wind was blowing, you needed to know the stuff around that area. So that's just the area that I'm familiar with. It's the area that I'm comfortable with. But it's, I knew that you know most of the field would end up running there and we'd all end up fishing on top of one another and that kind of happened and it was pretty frustrating to run 80 miles to sit there and look at everybody you know but there was guys that did well really all up and down the river you know from Ogdensburg all the way to the mouth of the lake so you know it's all about finding an area that you're comfortable in and that you you know you know and and then finding a section of that area that has the better quality fish and so, you know, I picked that area just because I'm already familiar with it and then found an area within that area that had the better quality fish. Okay. If uh, if you were going to do it over again, or like let's say you had a pretty another month ahead of you at the St. Lawrence and you were going to fish the Toyota Series event, like do you think it would be worth it to learn other parts of the river? Because going out of Messina is... A game changer to a degree yeah 100 percent. because if i was fishing that toyota series out of messina the last place i'd want to go is clayton because you've got 200 boats and most of them have all watched this title event and there was a couple of us that did well around there and they're going to ignore the fact that it was could have been one at augensburg it could have been one in chippewa bay it could have been one around morristown and it could have been one around the lake everybody is going to run straight there and then they're all with 200 boats they're all going to be looking at one another and it's not it's just not it's not that easy it's not like everybody's gonna run there and just crack them you know you've got to have a lot of water to run in a short amount of time and you can't be sharing it with other boats you know i mean there were several guys that caught fish off of buoys and stuff and we watched that happen well you put 200 boats in that tournament field and that's not gonna work out for any of them you know i mean they're just gonna all step on each other you know it's so I would definitely be taking a different approach if I was fishing the Toyota series. I'm not saying that I wouldn't end up around that area, but I'd try like heck to find somewhere else to fish. <laughs> and it'll be a lot different then. There'll be a lot of shallow fish. I think that'll be biting well. And, you know, it'll just be totally different, honestly. I like it. I wasn't expecting a full on Toyota series preview for this, but I appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. How, you said you ended up with like areas with a little bit better quality. What was. What was the what was the pattern within the pattern? How were you catching your fish? How did you like? Was it a particular? You know, you had five money humps. Did you have something else going on? What was what was the deal? I kind of ran new water each day. You know, I I really I caught good quality fish from twenty all the way out to sixty feet. So there wasn't a particular depth that I was necessarily targeting. I think the key was just finding the areas with clean bottom that didn't have a lot of it seemed like there was a lot of algae and stuff or just nasty stuff on a lot of the rock. And so finding the areas with cleaner bottom that, um, those areas tended to, uh, it seemed like hold the better fish. 
uh, the water being as low as it was, there was a lack of current in a lot of areas. So that, that kind of changed things a little bit. I think it actually pushed the fish deeper than what they typically are. I usually don't catch big ones as deep as I did. Um, but it was just mainly like finding those clean, clean bottom areas and, and finding areas with plenty of gobies and, and, and just, you know, better quality. And, and I'll be honest with you, it really wasn't the, some of the stuff I was fishing wasn't any different from stuff I fished in other areas. It just, for whatever reason like i caught little one that's a little one that's a little one that's a little one and then finally i got in one little area where on the first day of practice i was catching you know like two and a half to three and a half pounders still no good ones but like it was just a little bit better quality you know and um i left that area went and fished around and fished around and still like it was i went through i don't know how many packs of worms like the first day of practice and didn't catch a four pounder and it was really frustrating. Um, but on the second day of practice, I went back to the area where I was catching the two and a half, you know, to three and a half, and just kind of expanded on it a little bit. And I happened to catch like a, a four something. And then I caught a 580. And uh, yeah, I was talking. like, all right, well, yeah, this, okay. So it's, it's not great. Like I caught two big ones in two days. Um, but honestly, it was pretty brutal everywhere else I fished. Like everything I caught was 12 inches. And so I just went back to that area, put my head down and went fishing. Okay. And I mean, it worked out, uh, I would say really well, you know, you caught basically like 20 and change, I think every day, except maybe the second day of the knockout round. Did you have 19 or the second day of the yeah, like, round? I think I had 19. 1915 or something but in the in the back of my mind i kind of knew like all right like i'm good you know like I, i've got enough so i mean that's it was kind of like man don't this is all i got this you know now it wasn't one particular spot but it was kind of like look don't i don't need to catch any more four pounders at this point i'm just wasting them if i do catch one you know yeah so that's some strategy going just because of the format and the way it, you know the way that it was you mentioned you were like finding some fish all the way out to 60 feet is there a difference in how you fish for uh bass in the st lawrence in 25 feet versus 60 feet is it just a heavier weight or is it anything else i kept it pretty simple man i i, I went back and forth between uh you know i used a half ounce some but i used a five eighths and a three quarter quite a bit as well and i didn't find one that really made much of a difference it's Whenever it comes to smallmouth fishing, it's really not. I think a lot of people make it a lot more complicated than what it, it needs to be. Um, and I think that's something that's allowed me to be successful. It's just I keep it real simple, and I don't really worry about it too much, like as far as the bait or the weight or any of that. Sometimes it matters, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about finding the fish you're going to bite and find the right quality. And okay. uh, so I, I I didn't get too 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 crazy about it, you know. I mean – I said I flip back and forth most of the time between the five eighths and three quarter, but I don't know that one made more difference than the other. You did think your line made a difference, though, right? Well, I did actually. I did switch from um, I did switch from uh, eight to six pound test Seaguar Tatsu uh, later in the event, just because I remember I think it was on day three of qualifying, uh, or the, it was in the knockout round, maybe it was. I think I don't remember which day it was. They all went together. It's 
anyways. You've been but fishing after, for smallmouth you know, kinda, a lot this summer, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Midway through the event, though, like, I remember um, on one of the days, I just could not get any of the fish to bite. It was very frustrating. I didn't have a lot of weight. And um, I, I watched, like, big one after big one after big one look at my bait and swim off, and it was really frustrating. And at the end of the day, like, they just started biting, though. And and it, I don't think it would – if I'd have had 12-pound test on there, I don't think it would have mattered. Um, but I, I caught them pretty good, and, and then I – but I was thinking, like, while I was struggling, I was like, man, maybe they're just not – you know, they're not feeding – and it really wasn't anything I could do. Maybe if I just had a little bit lighter line, then uh, I could get just one or two more of these big ones to bite throughout the course of the day, and maybe it would make a difference. Um, how much of a difference do I think it actually made throughout you know the last couple of days of the tournament? I really don't know. Um, but it, it made me feel better about it, I guess. <laughs> so so that's what's all that's the most important thing but when it comes down to it it's all about being around the right fish at the right time when they want to bite i like it i guess maybe my last question you know you you're kind of a veteran at this now you've made that long run several times is there any advice for making that style of run in a tournament like when do you like to get your gas how do you like to divvy up your day because you're really you know kind of compressing the amount of time you have to fish down quite a bit well um i i, I kind of spend a lot of time preparing my boat uh you know i run a phoenix and I, I think that makes a big difference being able to run a couple extra miles an hour you know i run I, a 920 phoenix i will say Do so I? I sat in the middle of the river a couple of days you were pretty much always the first guy past me i think always you were yeah <laughs> yeah i was and so i mean that's all comes down to boat preparation and and uh, making sure you have the right prop and the right setup and all that stuff. I mean, um, Scott Jordan with Jordan Marine, they're in Vider, Texas. He's a race boat guy, and he also happens to be a Phoenix dealer. So he sets, you know, helps me get my boat set up with the optimum prop, optimum, you know, everything. And that's why I run a 920. So I was the first guy down the river every day, with the exception of maybe Mitch Crane and the Bullet. And actually, Blake Hall passed me on one one of the days on day two of our qualifying. And I was pretty frustrated about that. Like, I, I got all the way to, I think, uh, just about to Chippewa Bay, and he come, like, kind of blowing by me. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, are you serious? And so I was kind of ticked me off while we were in the line. And I asked him, I was like, man, what are you running? And he he runs a 721 Phoenix, which is the fastest one they make. I mean, it's it's a, it's a rocket ship. So he was running, like, extremely fast. But uh, for the most part, though, yeah, I just try to run a, a fast boat, and that helps you out a little bit. I mean, 10 minutes extra fishing makes a huge difference, you know. Yeah, especially uh, when it's cold Maybe in the even morning. more than that. Yeah, and I, I actually, I, I don't have a, I have the larger fuel tank in my boat. I have run out of fuel before in a tournament, so I didn't want to do that anymore. So, I, I um, this year I got a larger fuel tank, which and it's an option for the Phoenix. And um, I don't know that I actually had to get fuel every day. I really think I could have made it back um, without getting fuel. But I did anyways just for insurance, you know, just because. I mean, I, I'd had enough each day that I felt like I was going to be okay to advance. So let's go get some fuel just to make sure I make it back. And um, as far as the timing goes, some guys are running straight down there and getting fuel immediately um, and then going fishing the rest of the day so they didn't have to worry about it. 
I didn't do that just because kind of my milk run of places, it just didn't work into my, you know. Could, you could almost fish your way toward the gas. Right. Essentially, that's what I was doing. I was kind of fishing my way towards the gas, getting fuel, and then fishing my way back. And that, you know, proved to be very um, efficient during the championship round because, you know, when I got down there first thing that morning, they were really biting well. Uh, right before that front moved in, I had an opportunity to have a big bag first thing in the morning. And then the front blew through, and it got hard to fish, and they quit biting for a while. And I really was on a struggle bus for most of the day. And and finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go get fuel like and start fresh. And I only had like 45 minutes left to fish. But I went, and I got fuel really quick. And within the last 45 minutes of the day, I was able to go back to a couple areas and you know, call up several times from 19 to 22 even. So, you know, that's just what worked out best for me in that particular situation in that particular tournament. But depending on, you know, everybody's got, you know, you're going to have a different milk run of areas that you want to hit, different, you know, all of that stuff. But the people there at that Clayton Marina, I have to give them a shout out. They were super, super uh, nice, and, uh, you know, they were running to the boat every time I got there. It was taking me about three minutes to fill up or to put to get 10 gallons of fuel and, and go on about my business. So that was pretty pretty uh, seamless there of getting that little bit of uh, insurance fuel, you know. Ten, ten gallons for a nice crisp, what, $70 or so? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It was like um, 10 gallons was you know 60 bucks it was like six dollars a gallon so and then i just i would give them that i i I would bring cash with me so i just gave them 80 dollars and would leave so i was just tipping them 20 dollars just because man i mean them being on point like that like i wanted to give them motivation for the next day when they're white boat coming hey that's a 20 dollar tip i'm going let's go boys yeah yeah exactly so it worked out well they were super nice and everything And, and um but that was kind of my strategy for that particular, you know, uh, event and kind of how I was doing that. But uh, I, I don't like to get fuel if I don't if I have to. It's just a stressful deal. But it, it, that was super easy and it worked out. How much on the on the tail end of the day? How much time? Not necessarily how much time were you giving yourself to run back, but like, would you give yourself a cushion in your mind, like, hey, I'm gonna have. I might get back with 15 minutes to spare or would you kind of set it up? So like you would run back and hit it on the dot. Like how, how do you play that? Well, each, so I've made the run all the way to the mouth of the lake enough to where I have in my waypoints, I have time increments all the way down the river. Oh, nice. And, um, so I know how far I, I am out at pretty much, you know, every 10 minutes down the river almost. I, I don't have anything marked for like the first 30, but I've got like a 30-minute mark, a 45-minute mark, a 55-minute mark, you know, and so on down the river. So I have a pretty good idea, you know, just, just from the time I spent there of where I'm at and where I need to be. But every day except for the championship day, I left, you know, kind of early and just gave myself plenty of time to, you know, get down the river and not beat up my fish and, and all that. And I, I would stop a couple times along the way just to, uh, I think it's really important to stop a couple times along the way. I would add ice to my, because I was pumping fresh water all day, every day. So I would, as soon as I got there in the morning, I'd catch my first fish, I'd turn my recircle manual, 
and I would turn my aerator on manual and I would recirculate all day. Um, and I would also just pump fresh water in all day. The water temperature was only like 72 degrees. Mm-hmm. So it was cool enough that it, that was plenty cool enough to have enough oxygen in the water to where I could just pump fresh water in them all day. I didn't have to baby them as much as far as putting ice and making sure my water level was right and all that. I could just have that thing just flushing fresh water the whole thing. But whenever I would make that run, I would plug my live well and um, so that none of the water leaked out, and I would put a bunch of ice in it. And I would really, really cool that water down, and I would run, you know, a third of the way down, add some ice, and uh, put a little fresh water add some ice, fish for a second, let them kind of just settle and get comfortable, and then I'd run another 30 minutes or so, and then I'd, you know, did the same thing over again. So the first three days of the tournament, I really, you know, took my time getting back and made sure that my fish were all right. You ever catch any on one of those, like, bonus stops? I would catch one or two, but I never caught any big ones, actually. I have one shallow area that I stopped on in the knockout round that, I, I knew had some big ones around it, and uh, I did have like a four pounder like follow my jerk bait up and try to eat it, but I I, I took it from her just because I thought maybe I might stop there in the championship round. I knew I had enough weight to to make it, you know, but um, I never got around to it in the championship round. I just I, I didn't fool with it because it was cloudy and stuff, and I just figured the shallow fish might be kind of funky, so I didn't even fool with them. I like it. Well, Dakota, thanks so much for the uh, time and the uh, in-depth breakdown. I really appreciate it, man. You bet, man. It was good talking to you, and uh, as always, and well, uh, don't take it easy on my smallmouth up there. Don't be, don't be hurting my pets too much. Don't worry. Next place I gotta go is Oneida, and those fish. Uh, well, they you probably can catch don't even all those. I don't even like. Them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't. <laughs> I don't even like those. <laughs> all righty, we are joined now by Andrew Loberg who uh, had kind of one of the more interesting titles, I think. Uh, Andrew caught 21-9 on day one, uh, then just 15 pounds on the second day, missed the knockout round, but did really well in the beginning and fished pretty close to Messina. Um, I guess, man, was that uh, always the plan to fish close to Messina, or... Did you practice a bunch of the river and that was where you ended up being? Cause that was the best. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, there was definitely some highs and lows in that tournament, but most of it was a high just because it is the title. And, uh, my practice was very interesting. I, uh, day one of practice, I had to go immediately to the boat yard to get some stuff worked on. So I kind of had a little bit of a short day, which was fine by me because one of my days of practice, I wanted to spend up, you know, basically from like Ogdensburg to uh, Messina, like kind of break the river up in two days. And first day of practice, roll up there around 8.30 or 9. And I had like, <clears throat> I broke that whole section down pretty well and I had pretty good practice. You know, I caught a ton of fish. Uh, granted, the average size of them, you know, wasn't that great. They were probably like two and a half to three pounders but I was occasionally getting like a four plus pounder and I had probably 18, 19 pounds. And I talked to my travel partner, Phil and uh, a couple of my other buddies that were in the tournament. I'm like, how was it down by Clayton and, you know, kind of game plan what I should do next. And, you know, they were saying it's kind of tough and, you know, you can get some bites. 
and in my mind, I'm like, shoot, I, I really wanted to spend one day of practice up or by Messina and one closer to the lake. Uh, and then whatever seemed better or a better shot at doing well, then I'd go that, that route. And then, uh, just kind of hearing some doc talk. I'm like, you know what? I had a pretty good day. I can generate a bunch of numbers and me not having that much experience on the St. Lawrence. I, I just figured since I had a decent day, I should probably just break it down even further in that Messina to, uh, Ogdensburg area and just see how many you know more spots i could find and in my mind if i could eliminate the you know hour to hour and a half run um each way i would have you know plenty of fishing time and hopefully generate more three and a half to four and a half pound bites to get me to that 20 pound mark um and that's what happened on day one you know i, I went out and immediately started catching fish which was cool and i knew i was going to you know, be around a lot of fish, but just getting those bigger bites was just kind of tricky. And I was very fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, catch a few nice ones and you were on the boat with one of my bigger ones during that day and had, you know, over 21 pounds, which was cool. And I knew that was kind of a big bag for that area. So I wasn't like getting too hyped up. I mean, I was pumped up, but I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go out and catch another 22 pounds <laughs> or 21 yeah. pounds. Um, and then day two, you know, I, I went out, kind of hit my same stuff and hit, hit some more water and the, the, the conditions changed. Um, we had wind blown a little differently and, uh, the current was a lot different and, you know, I had the bites to get me into the knockout round. I, I broke off a pretty big one. I mean, that's just fishing. That's just how it goes. And, uh, I missed the knockout round by like 10 ounces, but you know, that's just how it is. And, you know, my day two, I was a little bummed, you know, I had 15 pounds, but at that, then again, you know, going into the tournament, I was almost, I could have expected that, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know what, I might not get those four pound bites and I could weigh 15 pounds. And that's just what happens, you know, when you kind of make that gamble and stay kind of close and the average fish isn't as big, you know, down by, you know, compared to the lake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my approach and, you know, just not being as familiar, which it, I definitely learned that I, I probably should have ran just to learn more about the, the other end of yeah, the lake was, or the river. That was my next question. Cause you stayed down there afterwards a little bit, fishing Lane Olsen some, I think like you got some experience now yep. for next time. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted some, not revenge, but I wanted to learn it because being up there and as you know, near Champlain, you don't get many fishing days <laughs> compared to most states. And I live so far away from New York where I, I'm like, you know, I got to spend another week or so here and, and try to just run the river and figure it out and, and learn how these smallmouth work. And, and I'm still learning how smallmouth function and where they swim off to and, <laughs> and what type of forage they eat and all that. It's still pretty big learning curve for me. So it was cool to stick around and, and, uh, you know, basically I went into the lake, which was a really cool experience. And, um, just, seeing a bunch of water and and uh yeah you know finding you know some new areas that you know if we go there in the coming years i'll be a little bit more prepared to make uh some better decisions so um but yeah i don't i don't regret any of my decisions too in the title i i think um for me to do what i did i think it was a pretty smart call and um learning how to fish all that heavy current up there and uh was a pretty fun experience and 
and just having more fishing time for me was a big deal. Okay. If you were, you know, going back next time, let's say, I mean, heck, let's say next week we're going to fish the title again. Are you, do you know where you would want to practice right now? Like, do you know where you'd want to spend your time or would you look to spread, try to spread out over the entire river again? Um, now that I know, um, from Messina to like the Ogdensburg area, I know some like, now that I've, I've fished it, I know some pretty decent spots in my opinion. I don't know if they're good or not, but <laughs> it could be community spots, but whatever. Now that I know how to catch fish in those areas, I'd probably spend the majority of my time closer to the lake just because that's historically where bigger fish come from. And, and that's kind of what I learned after I fished the tournament. Um, so practice would be a heck of a lot different and say I didn't catch a bass in practice and, you know, before that tournament, I would have the stuff that I just fished this you know, a couple weeks ago to go to as well. So yeah, practice would be a lot different and, and my game plan of going into the tournament would be definitely a lot different. Um, just because, you know, I'm a little bit more familiar with it. I mean, it's, it's such a big body of water and with two days of practice, it makes it of, uh, you know, making those types of decisions. But, you know, being new to the area and uh, the smallmouth deal and all that, you know, I had to, to kind of not play it safe, but I had to kind of pick my poison a little bit and do that deal. No doubt. Tell me about that big one you lost. Yeah, you know, so I my, my approach to uh, – I kept it pretty simple with what I was using. I – uh, I had four or five drop shots on the deck and a couple Carolina rigs, and I'd kind of rotate in between both of them. And uh, being that there's a lot of current and rock that I was fishing, zebra mussels also live in those areas. <laughs> and uh, a handful of times that, you know, you'd, you'd make a drift and you'd get your your bait back or whatever, your rigs back, and you'd have to retie a bunch. And, uh, you know, one of my drifts, you know, I had – she bit i swung and i was fighting her in the boat or fighting her fighting her to get to the boat and i saw her flash and it was a big one uh it was actually on that same spot that you were on the boat with me and uh she made a couple like surges and i was kind of playing it easy and then all of a sudden it just snapped my line like butter and uh my whole liner rig just broke off and you know that's just how it is and then uh and that's just the condition you don't you know it's not it's tough to land all of them in the, in the hard current and the, and the zebra mussels and all that. You know, you're not uh, guaranteed 100%, but that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. There's no – with that – with the way that bottom is there, the only, like, real guarantee of not having your line messed up is a drop shot, and even that's not 100%. And uh... Right, exactly. But you were catching a lot of fish on the Carolina rig. Why did you? Why did that end up being a better solution for you? And then what was your setup for that? Um, I don't know. I I almost felt like it was more of like a, a reaction type bite, um, and I can kind of. I would almost get the same amount of bites in a sense from the drop shot to the Carolina rig, and in my mind, I'm like, well, if I can, if I get the same bites, I'd rather catch them on 15 pound than six or eight pound test yeah makes so, sense <laughs> uh yeah so and they were biting it pretty well and you know i was hooking them pretty decent on it uh and 
compared to the drop shot, a lot of the drop shot bites you get too, you know, they'll choke it a lot of times and then uh, they'll saw you off with their teeth and break them off that way. So percentage-wise, I feel like the, the Carolina rig was a little bit better for me. Um, and depending on the conditions, like on day one, we had a little cloud cover and wind, and I felt like the Carolina rig, they could feel it or see it a little bit better. I don't know. I just In my eyes, it was a little bit better presentation than a drop shot. Um, and I just – you know, I was getting bites and I, I felt better on my drifts doing that deal and I could fish it a little bit quicker uh, than a drop shot. So that's kind of, that's kind of why I, I just stuck that in my hand most of the day on day one and then had to kind of change it up on day two with more of a drop shot approach with the conditions. Okay. Makes sense. For your Carolina, yeah. rig, I remember you were saying that you had like gotten it pretty dialed in and obviously you broke one off, which is not necessarily, you know, a setup issue uh yeah but what were what was your like rod reel line situation you know how were how were you like honed in to you know making the most of that rig yeah so i was using a a pal endurance 755 uh it's a seven foot five like medium heavy rod and uh the longer i think a little bit longer rod definitely helped and uh, i was using 15 pound 100 percent fluorocarbon p by p line uh, 15 to 15 or 15 to 12, depending on what was going on. And then, uh, I probably had about a three, three and a half foot leader to it. Um, and then in the reel I was using, I, I definitely think an eight to one was the best bet on that deal. Uh, just because how much current there was and to catch up with them, because since there was a lot of current, same with the drop shot, it, the speed, the the speed on the on the reel, I think, was definitely key. Only because with how much current there is, catching up to them on on setting the hook and and uh, just fighting those fish. I mean, they're so quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it definitely helped keeping up with them. Uh, and those diodes, they just have great drag on those bait casters, so I could just back off on them. And if I needed to catch up, that eight to one definitely helped out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt felt like my hookup ratio was really good. And uh, I was hooking them great and uh, didn't have many really come off. The ones that came off were like, you know, small ones that would just bite the tails of uh, of my baits. And, and that was really it. <clears throat> cool. I know you had, you know, you were some fishing some drifts around like some hard objects, right? You know, uh, one of those channel marker type things, stuff like that, like some real obvious stuff. But you had some like more subtle drifts too, I feel like. What was it? Kind of what, what depth were you catching your fish out of mostly? Yeah, most of the fish I was catching were in that 20 to 35 foot range. Uh, I was trying to target some pretty heavy current, and there were some spots, as you saw, where there wasn't as much current, but there were spots in the river where it went from no current to current. So it was kind of just like a little bit of a, a switch almost. Um, so some of the spots I was at obviously were heavy, and then where it switched from not much current to current, a lot of those fish kind of stack up in just one little area, which was cool to see. Um, Cause then you'd make a drift past that and some heavy current. And then uh, they just weren't there. You know, they kind of stack up in that right where that change was, which was kind of cool to see. For that stuff, could you spot lock and cast or would you always drift to present your bait? 
I would always drift uh, to present my bait. Um, I think it's just a little, little bit more natural, and you, you kind of want to be going with the flow. No, no pun intended. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, uh, man, thanks so much for the time, and you know, congrats on a great rookie season. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. For, yeah, thanks for having me, and it was it was uh, it was a blast this year. I can't believe it's already over. Um, and I can't wait for next season, getting the, getting the boat geared up, ready to go. All right, we are joined now by Jacob Wall, who uh, did the best of anyone fishing the farthest east of anyone. I know, Jacob, you started the tournament really right near takeoff, and then you kind of transitioned your way down toward Augensburg. Um, was that the plan all along? Why, why did you end up in that part of the river? So... That wasn't necessarily the plan all along. That just is kind of how it developed. Um, part of the reason why I stayed close to the takeoff up there around Messina, um, I just decided to stay close and practice up there. I've been dealing with uh, just some back stuff. My back's been kind of having a few issues the last, I don't know, uh, probably third of the season. I have a bulging disc in the lower part of my back. It's starting to go away. I'm getting it fixed up uh, with the chiropractor and stuff. And it's, working on getting that all back to normal. But anyway, that was part of the reason why I stayed close and practiced up there. But the other part of the reason was the fact that there was a smaller field size. We only had 25 guys a day uh, maximum on the water. And so I felt like there was going to be stuff up there near Messina that wouldn't be getting the kind of pressure that it would have gotten if we had a traditional, you know, 160 boat field. So I felt like I had the potential to catch, you know, we're only fishing for five fish in this format. And I, I, I felt like I had the potential to catch three or four, maybe five good, you know, big fish up there and put myself in a position where I could do well in the tournament um, and not have to make that hellacious run all the way down to Clayton or Alexandria Bay or further. Um, so that was part of the reason why I decided to stay up there and, in practice, I found these fish, they were uh, keyed in around hardcover, barge ties, uh, like seawalls. There's a, a kind of a big, basically the entrance to the lock up there, uh, or down there, I guess, is downstream from the ramp. And I was just fishing the corners of the lock and all the corners of like the man-made uh, seawalls and stuff like that. I don't know how else to explain it, but basically I was just panning around with active target, looking for these fish suspended. Um, if I could find them suspended on, you know, the sides of that stuff, they were almost a guaranteed bite. Like if I could see them up off the bottom um, and there's, you know, one or two fish near each other, I would almost always catch one. The ones that were harder to catch were when they were closer to the bottom, but I did catch those fish as well. You just kind of pan around. You have to look a little bit care more carefully and you'd have to get a little closer to them. But basically anywhere from 20 to 35 feet of water around that hard cover, and that was kind of what got me to the knockout round. Um, was fishing up there around Messina around all that hard cover. All right. And then did you intent did you switch down to Augensburg in the knockout round? And did you do that intentionally? Like were you trying to save that? Or did you feel the Messina stuff going away and you just had to make a call? So day two of practice, um, kind of take it back, I, I went down to Augensburg in day two of practice and I spent almost my entire day just kind of bouncing around between I'd say the city of Ogdensburg and maybe five or six miles downstream. I didn't really run a lot of water, but I just kind of wanted to learn that section because I knew it was a 
it was a little bit different area of the river where it kind of changes from being a lot of islands to just big open water. The current did some interesting stuff down there. And basically I ended up just finding these handful of stretches that I could drift and get some bites on, but they weren't, it wasn't fast and furious. Um, I could get a bite every, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, but they were good quality fish. And I kind of more, more or less saved it um, for the, the final day or the final couple days. And it didn't end up necessarily, that wasn't my plan going into the tournament. Day one, we had a lot of wind that went against the current. And so that's why I didn't go down there to drift. I felt like my best chance to have a good day was to stay up and fish that hardcover because I could fish that with any kind of wind. It didn't matter if it was blowing, you know, whatever direction. I would just have to up the size of my drop shot weight to keep it in contact with the bottom. But I'm not sitting there trying to drift at quarter mile stretch when the wind's pushing the opposite way and i mean you know all about that jody i'm sure i mean i haven't done a lot of drifting but in the short time that i have you definitely don't necessarily want the wind blowing hard against the current yeah it seems like that makes it really tricky uh for sure um so that was deciding factor for day one of why i stayed up there and then it kind of worked and so i figured i'd do it again on day two and then once the conditions lined up to drift, I mean, I knew I had that stuff down there. Okay. What what kind of stuff were you drifting? Like, how deep? Was it a real long? Was it like a, a long shoal? Was it a, Were you drifting along a specific break? What, what kind of stuff was it? So, it was actually, it was kind of a big shoal, but it was a specific, I, I kind of pinpointed it down to being a specific depth. Um, I learned it a little bit more and more each you know, each time I drifted and each time I'd fish it, um, during the day, but it seemed like that 20 to 25 foot zone was good in practice. And then it seemed like they started to transition out a little bit deeper. And I don't know if it was just that I decided to start fishing out deeper and they were always out there, but, um, I, I definitely seemed like I got bigger bites out there in that 30 to 40 foot zone. And basically, I was just fishing where this big flat or the big shoal with kind of scattered rocks. And, and they weren't, it wasn't a lot of rock. I mean, it was just kind of scattered rock throughout it uh, where it fell off into the main river channel. And so I was fishing that, that kind of tighter contour break right there. And it was a pretty long area. I mean, the fish would scatter out around this whole break that was probably three quarters of a mile long, but there were little sweet spots in it. And I would just run up and drift down one little sweet spot and then I would let it rest for a while run up and drift down another one and then I would you know go across the river I had another area that was similar and drift that stretch I was on the Canada side and I was just kind of bouncing around drifting these little stretches not making long runs and just trying to give something 30 minutes for a fish to line back up and go back over it again and drift it okay that makes me it makes a lot of sense uh it's like a pretty classic way to catch them on the St. Lawrence. I know, I think you were catching them on a drop shot down by Messina. Was it drop shot in Carolina rig there, or what What made the change? Because I know you caught some on a Carolina rig too, right? Yeah, so I caught all of those fish down there by Ogdensburg on a Carolina rig. Um, I just was using a three-quarter ounce uh, lead egg sinker, a little bead. Um, then I slid a bobber stopper on there to kind of protect the knot above my you know on my swivel mm -hmm. then i had my swivel and then i had my my leader coming off of it and i was using like a 16 pound main line 15 or 16 it didn't really matter you know um anyway 15 or 16 pound main line 
And then I was running a 12-pound leader off of that to my hook. Um, I felt like that that heavier line, that little bit heavier line was good because it could, you know, allow you to hit those shells a few more times. But that was probably the hardest part about doing what I was doing was the amount of times that I had to retie. And I don't know. I mean, there could have been and there probably is a more efficient way to do it. But I felt like getting away from those fish and getting that bait, you know, far cast length away from me. I was able to get those, I feel like I was able to get those bigger ones to bite a little bit easier than if I was just to drop a drop shot straight down or keep it within, you know, 20 or 30 feet of the boat. Okay. What, uh, <clears throat> let's see, so you're using straight floor all the way through. What rod were you using? Because I feel like, it, it seems like your, your, your landing ratio is so key on these smallmouth fisheries because you're, you know, it's just everybody is going to have good weight, and if you lose a five or six pounder, like that's probably your day right there. It's hard to make up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was using a seven foot eight, uh, so a little bit longer, not not crazy long, but a seven foot eight medium heavy uh, Phoenix, and it was the M1 series. And that rod, I use that rod for a bunch of stuff, but I use it for chatterbait fishing up here on Gunnersville. Um, I'll use it for a lipless crankbait in the cold months of the year when the fish aren't doing any crazy runs or anything. And I use it for that Carolina rig. I use it for, I mean, a bunch of stuff. It's a good offshore rod, a good open water rod, just a nice long rod with kind of a nice moderate bend. And it worked good for that Carolina rig. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I got fortunate, man. I really did because I went out the five, or let's see, the day after the tournament ended i went out with my parents just to show them that stretch that i was drifting because we were driving down that way past it and we went out there for a little bit and dude i had like three good bites and i i broke one of them off like somehow it got me behind a rock and broke me off and then i lost like a five or six pounder like halfway to the boat and i i mean i looked at them and i was like well, isn't it just great that this happens today and not in the tournament because like you said i mean you lose those fish in the tournament and Mentally, it's hard, but really, it's just hard to come back from that in general because you're only going to get so many of those bites a day. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this is another kind of maybe quirk, but I noticed that neither of the baits you were throwing necessarily had any particular scent. Uh, are you not a scent guy? Did you try some max scent stuff and feel like it didn't matter? How did that work out for you? Because lately, smallmouth seem to only bite stuff that smells weird um or at least that's the theory right yeah no um i didn't really get too in depth of thinking about it like as far as if my stuff had scent on it or not um you know one thing that on the final day that you i didn't mention and you probably didn't see is i did put some bait fuel in my bag of my speed cross so okay. the the um, that was on the final day and i don't know if it mattered or not it had only been in there you know from whatever nine o'clock that i put it in there up until you know the end of the day but i i don't know i mean i'm not a huge believer in that stuff but at the same time like i do use it um i did catch fish the first two days on a flatworm so i mean i did use that but it seemed like that that little drop shot bait that i was using that half shell or whatever it seemed like they bit that thing better than they did the flatworm <laughs> yeah and you know the uh that little uh that little strike king bait has been catching a lot of fish uh well kind of all over the place and definitely a lot of fish on champlain recently 
and that doesn't really smell like anything. So, you know, the, oh, the, Z. Uh, the Z2. So it's maybe maybe we're turning our trend back around a little bit. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you say that about that Z2. I was, who was it? Ron Nelson was staying near me at the St. Lawrence, and he, you know, was using one, and I was like, dude, what is it about that bait? Like, why? What? He goes, oh, I don't. His answer was kind of funny. I don't remember what he said. Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, Ron's answers for anything are amazing. Like, it's the bait. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I love I love listening to Ron talk about fishing because I very rarely understand any of it. And I'm not sure that he does either, but there's always some, like, incredible nugget in there if you can, like, dig it out with your mind. Um, but, uh, He's yeah, a that's cool. Nominal. But, anyway, yeah, those that was the bait, you know, the baits that I was using. I don't think it made much of a difference if I had sent on there or not. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I just, I really didn't take this, I know it's going to sound awful. I didn't really take this tournament that seriously. Like I did take it seriously, but I also like went out there seriously. Like if you hear my interviews, I said, oh, I just wanted to go have a good time, have fun. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like that was my, my whole purpose of being on the St. Lawrence was to enjoy it. Because the last time I was up there last year, I absolutely did not enjoy it. It was my worst <laughs> tournament. And uh, I was like, all right, at the very least, I just want to like go out there and have a good time and not drive home pissed off again. I like it. Well, it's a good place to have fun, but I could definitely see, you know, if you're, if you got points on the line and it's not working out, how it can not be fun. And, you know, you had a uh, lot of opportunity to catch smallmouth and you were going to get paid regardless. And it worked out really fantastic. So to close things out, we are joined by Kurt Mitchell, the title king. Uh, basically makes a top 10 every time he fishes them. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It's just, uh, I, don't, I don't know what I do special on the uh, championship, but I need to figure it out so I can do it in the rest of the season. Yeah, dude, if you could do it all year, I mean, you'd win some AOIs, like, no time. Oh, it'd be incredible. I just, I gotta figure that one out. Um, I guess, let's dive into your pattern for this a little bit, because you had a couple things going. You know, you started out, and I think you caught a couple fish off a buoy and then you lost them what what was your uh what was your progression like yeah so um that the buoy deal i I didn't know uh the the whole buoy thing that was the first day of the tournament i um i didn't plan on fishing any buoys in practice i mean in practice i think i caught a couple small ones but uh i found a general area in the river that you know the shoals the humps and stuff they, they it all just had fishing I, I, I didn't catch many big ones in practice but uh it was it was all right um and the term first day of tournament i was uh heading over to a shoal that i caught some fish on and i was like well there's a there's a can right here beside this this uh shoal here let me swing her there real quick and sure enough I caught three i caught a, a five pounder and two four and a half off of it pretty good the first pretty good. day and then, yeah, then i left it and uh Next day I went there, and they were gone. I was like, "Huh, Which that's that's pretty typical for small smallmouth. They come and go, you know." And uh, the third day, the knockout round, I went back to the buoy again. And I was like, "Well, I need to figure out where these fish went." And I just started drift. I just drifted through the area. You know, I was in thirty-five to forty foot of water, and uh, sure enough, there was a ditch right right after the buoy. It went from uh, like a little, little depression. It went from like thirty-five to 
about 40 foot and uh, dropped down there, four pounder. Kept on drifting, another depression, another five pounder. <laughs> Kept on drifting, <laughs> another depression, another five pounder. I was like, well, this is where, this is where they went. They went in these depressions here. So it was, uh, it was pretty neat. How many of these like depressions did you have? Because it was, and were they all on one shoal or were you able to like run this sort of across various shoals, if that makes sense? Um, they were all on that one shoal for the most part. Um, there were some little tiny depressions, you know, um, in practice, I would, I would see these little, little, you know, I'm talking about depressions that would go from like 25 to 27 and you would see a fish on your Garmin down there and right directly in the center of the center of the uh, depression. Uh, that kind of clued me in with the depression deal to begin with. But, uh, those depressions are not the same as the depressions I actually fished and caught my fish fish out on the in the uh, tournament. They were like bigger, deeper, like a more yeah. They, they, they were hole. Yeah, they're bigger, more obvious. Um, yeah, it was pretty much just holes. <laughs> what they were. Um, I actually think what what might have caused that is uh, I don't know if they moved those buoys. Do you know if they do or not? I don't know. I thought that they attached them to like concrete blocks and stuff. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think they dug so, holes for them. But so a lot of those buoys in that current, there is actually depression on the buoy. Ah, uh, so you think the, like they might be them, where buoys used to be? That's kind of what I think might it might have been. Huh. Well, I would be interested to to know that I guess or to find that out. I would too. I would, too. I know one thing. Next time I go up there, I'm going to be looking around the buoys. <laughs> See if we got any more depressions around the other buoys out there. I didn't really get a I, – I didn't have time to go check that stuff in the tournament, you know. Yeah. But uh, I got some investigating to do for the Toyota Series, that's for sure. No doubt, no doubt. How deep were these depressions, and, like, how long were they? Is it the size of your boat, and it drops down 5 or 10 feet? Is it bigger than that? What's What kind yeah, of scale yeah, are we dealing with? So they'd be about – maybe uh 30 foot wide um like the width of the river the width of the river like um so the current's going over top of them you know what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah. um and uh they'd be about maybe 15 foot from front to back okay okay so they're not very long so to speak no they are they are kind of they have some width to them and they have some depth to them and yeah, you could usually sure. see the fish on your on your live scope in them. On those bigger ones, I couldn't. But on, on the smaller ones, I've seen them practice. Some the smaller ones is not the same thing, but it, they were you know depressions that you know, go from like you know twenty five to twenty seven, the you know, little two foot depressions. You can see the fish in those type of depressions, but in those those deeper ones where the uh, drop offs a little bit more abrupt, you couldn't see them. Okay. And how would you fish them? Would you like? Is it just drifting your drop shot through them and you try to feel it hit bottom all the way through, or what's the process? So every time I would try to drift in and hitting those holes is actually kind of difficult to do because, you know, you just lose contact. And by the time you, you you know, you realize you've lost contact, you've already drifted through half the half the hole. So I was just spot locking and casting up into it and letting my bait drift and you know, feeling the bait the whole way through. That seemed to work a lot better. Okay. I did notice you... I noticed you spent a lot more time on your trolling motor than some of the other guys who were fishing, like yeah. fishing that part of the river. And yeah. it, it makes sense. Like you had something very specific to target. You weren't just fishing, you know, a long break or something or a flat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I just uh, the whole the whole drifting deal. On the, um, I've just never been a big time drifting guy out there on the Saint, on the Saint Lawrence. I'd much rather fish targets. It just makes yeah. more sense to me. And I'm not even going to say that that's a better way to fish. I mean, I, obviously, I, I think overall drifting probably is a better way to fish. That's what everybody does. But for me, I'm more comfortable, you know, casting at targets. But, yeah, well, you've had some really big days target fishing for smallmouth. I, you know, I have. That's like, a, but that's that's my deal. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think that it's probably not bad for you to lean into a strength. So yeah, yeah, that that that's actually my only strength is the smallmouth fishing. That that and all of a sudden I'm really good at throwing a jerk bait on smallmouth these last couple of years, probably because of live scope. But I do think that jerk bait and live scope game like that, that helps a lot. Like if you're good at one, oh, you'll probably be good at the other, like automatically. Yeah. I, I used to really not like throwing a jerk bait at all. I had like no confidence in it, but ever since Livescape now, I just, I, I, I actually just bought like $450 worth of jerk baits just like two days ago. <laughs> 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 like, I, I really love jerk baits now. <laughs> all right. Um, let's circle back to the buoy thing. Cause I feel like a lot of people fish buoys, you know, on the great lakes. It's not like some kind of big secret in the river specifically. What are, where on the buoy were you catching those fish? You know, were they at, up at top? Were they on the chain somewhere? Were they down by the block, by the hole? Like, how did that work out when that was? So, <laughs> there was actually a depression on that buoy as well. <laughs> on the, so, that, that shoal had three depressions, and then it also had a depression on the buoy. And the fish that I caught in the tournament, I seen one of them come, come from the chain of the buoy. Uh, but the other two I caught, the first day, I believe they were just in, in the in the uh, depression. Have you ever fished this depression thing before? Because it seems like a no, thing you should do a little more of, maybe. Yeah, like I said, I'm, um, I'm going to circle back to that. <laughs> like when I'm there in a couple weeks for the uh, Toyota Series. Um, could be a big deal there. I've, I've never really heard of anybody doing it. Uh, I, but in that turn, in, in our title championship i talked to a couple people that actually were catching that way as well and it was all new to them too so huh i'm sure i'm sure it's not new to the locals i'm sure the locals already know about it but uh for guys like me that don't get to go up there all the time it it definitely was a new one for me i like it when we can break a little new ground the only problem is that basically now we've determined that smallmouth live literally everywhere on the St. Lawrence, yep. they live at the yep. front of shoals, the back of shoals, in depressions, in yep. low current areas, in grass, yep. deep, yep. shallow. Like, you could basically probably put your boat, like, you could drift down the middle of the river, and just, like, whatever you hit along the way, you might catch a smallmouth. Is well, you know, that's what's funny about that, is Jamie Horton, last time the tour was there, it cracked me up. Jamie Horton, <laughs> I, try, I tried to get him to explain how he was fishing, all he told me, he says, mate, I just got to an area. I've just I put the troll motor down and I just drifted. Never picked the troll motor up. Never started the outboard up. Just drifted and drifted and drifted. And he got a check. I think he had wow. I think he had almost twenty pounds one day. Just and just drifted for miles. <laughs> How crazy is that? That's the St. Lawrence for you. Just start drifting. You'll catch them. <laughs> you'll catch them wherever. It's incredible. Like, yeah. It really is kind of true, though, because, man, I mean, you know, if you look at just the variety of places that guys caught fish, you know, guys caught 19-pound bags in this tournament. Like, they mm-hmm. caught them off everything. There's There was not oh, yeah. a pattern by any means. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I wish uh, I wish I would have looked into the grass a little bit more. Uh, I will be doing that for the Toyota Series. Um, I know I noticed something. Uh, the I had one shoal out there, and it had a patch of grass on top of it. And every time I cast that one patch of grass, I would catch a three pounder. I mean, every time, but I wouldn't. I would never catch them on the shoal itself. It would just be on that one patch of grass. Um, and then I heard about Spencer. You know, obviously Spencer won the tournament off grass for the most part. Um, so I kind of wish I would have spent a little more time in, in the grass, but uh, maybe maybe uh, for the Toyota Series, we'll put that into play a little bit too. I like it. Um, for you. Uh, you ended up sort of in that Chippewa Bay area where, you yep. know, John Hunter was around there. Bobby Lane was around there. Uh, uh-huh. Becker spent some time there. Lucas even like kind of dipped through a little bit. Like what, yeah. uh, it, did you end up there on purpose or did you f- try to fish like kind of the whole river and that's just where you found your fish? Yeah. So, um, I actually, I mean, I went to Clayton the first day of practice because, uh, you know, Typically, when I see 25-plus pound bags out of that river, in our tournaments anyway, uh, they come from Clayton, um, which Clayton is, you know, sort of by the river or by the lake. Um, yep. And uh, this year, I I, mean, I went up there, and I, I caught plenty of fish. There's, there's no big ones. And uh, the next day, I was like, well, let's just get a Chippewa and try to, figure out how to catch you know 20 pounds to get me through the knock, knockout round and um i went out there the first day of practice and, or the second day of practice and man i i sucked all day until, until like the last two hours i finally i found a general area in chippewa where the, the fish just they were just there which is it's really difficult because you can fish 100 shoals in chippewa there's, there's like a thousand of them there's shoals all over the place and uh, you can fish a thousand of them and not hit the right area and not catch them but then all of a sudden you hit you hit the right area and they're on every show in that you know mile section or whatever it's uh it's pretty pretty interesting that is neat do you think there's any particular reason for that like is it a migration thing is it a current level thing or is it just something we can't explain uh, well probably something we can't explain honestly uh because I've, I've seen them in multiple different sections of, the, of that river and they're never the same when I get back. I mean, the rocks don't move. You know? <laughs> but but, the, but what, what, what does change, though, is water level. So the water level could have could be a player on that because uh, this year the water was actually pretty low there, and it, it actually changed the current up in a lot of areas that I fished in the past. Okay. Did that hurt some of your shallow stuff, do you think? Because I know that you, in years past, oh, caught it. quite a few fish shallow. It killed my shallow stuff. <laughs> It's funny because you know uh, my my shallow deal um, that I fished there last year for the tour the tu- or the the yeah, pro just circuit a regular event. pro circuit event yeah yeah just the regular pro circuit event um, all the areas I was fishing last year that they were just sand spots amongst grass you know because you just have grass and then you have a hole with just uh, sand and yet you know, sand's really important for the smallmouth if you fish for your uh, fishing shallow and uh, I went there this year. All the sand's gone. It's all covered in grass now. So I guess the water dropping then slowed the current down there and caused grass to grow on my sand. On my sand spots. Hate that. Yeah. Ah, uh, me too. I can't believe it. Um, Such a good area. Dude, it was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that. It, 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 it was awesome. I, I enjoyed it too. 
Yeah. Uh, the final day, he caught 20 pounds, 10 ounces. Uh, turned out to be, you know, a very good day of fishing. You finished fourth. Is there anything that you would have done differently if you could have throughout the tournament? Like, can you think of any missed opportunities that, you know, would have set you up better to truly contend for the win? So, not really. I mean, the only thing I really could have done was um, on day two, after I decided I had probably had enough weight to make the knockout round, I think I had 17 pounds, I could have, uh, I could have, you know, went and started looking around and just, you know, abandoned the chance of winning the, the um, qualifying round um, and just started looking around for, for the next day, you know. Um, instead, I just kept on pounding out my areas trying to figure out what's going on. Um, that's the only thing I could really could have done different. I mean, I, I fished pretty, actually, my fish, and I fished extremely clean all week. I, I only lost one good one, and that was on the last day. And I, I never seen it. It could have been another three and a half pound ride on that, but it felt pretty, it felt pretty big. Um, I, like I wish early I would have on the last day. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You were, you were right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, um, yeah. The only thing I, I wish I would have tried a little bit more is uh, that last day is the Carolina rig and the football jig. Um, but man, I just don't have that much confidence in those baits, so it's, it's really hard for me to pick it up. I need, uh, I'm going to spend like a week up there for the title for the uh, Toyota series just because I, I want to learn you know, more about it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to spend a day just throwing a Carolina rig and a football jig and just trying to get some confidence built up in it because there, there was a lot of really big bass called out there last week or uh, for the title, uh, on the Carolina rig and football jig. Yeah, it seems like that could be good for those depressions too because if you are Could rolling be. with a little bit heavier weight or something like that uh, like you might be able to get it down to them and not miss right. the front lip so much you know right and plus uh the whole the whole river i mean there's a there's a ton of two two pounds smallmouth in that river so like you go up to one of the depressions you get a two pounder you eat, eat your bait first you know you, if you got a five pounder down there watching your watching a two pounder get called a lot of times that five pounder is not going to eat yeah, I can, for a little bit. So, uh, so, so, so a jig down there, maybe that big one eat first, you know. So, I like it. Um, you were throwing a drop shot mostly for this one. What, what's your yep. uh, like? What bait did you use? What's your general drop shot setup? Because, I mean, yep. dude, I don't know how many people have caught more weight on a drop shot than you in the last couple smallmouth tournaments. I mean, it's uh, you do some impressive things with it. Oh well, I appreciate that. That's uh. One of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten in my life. Thank you, JD. <laughs> okay. Well, I did once call, say that AJ was like Ron Nelson, but worse. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a pretty big compliment at the time. So that is it. My compliments are not always the greatest. <laughs> yeah, I actually like that a lot. Like Ron Nelson, but worse. That, that's perfect for AJ. <laughs> I don't know. I, th I think AJ on the. Uh... On the St. Lawrence, I think AJ might be top dog out there. Uh, he definitely is up there. Uh, I yep. think so. He's fishing the uh, Toyota series, right? Yep. So we get oh, you. We get. No, no. I think I think he's dropped. I think he dropped out of it. Oh man! He yep. saw that Corey Johnston got in and he dropped out. That's what happened, right? <laughs> he got scared. He got Gosh. scared. Anyway, Corey Johnston was... got in it. Yeah, he's in it. Oh man, that's good. I know, right? I, I don't know why, but I, I really want to beat him with smallmouth. 
which is, I don't know if you noticed or not, but it's almost impossible to beat the guy. With small <laughs> but Unless I was, you're from Wisconsin in like 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I would like to get, because I've came close to beating him a couple times. Uh, actually, my first top 10 was on the um, Ontario. And uh, I think it was me, Matt Becker, and both the Johnson brothers were the top four. Of course, I was fourth. <laughs> that was uh, back when Matt was still fishing out of a Skeeter, and that was like yeah. three Ultrex, wasn't it? I like, think that was oh, yeah. back in yeah, the that day. That was, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Oof, Good times. Long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. But yeah, my drop shot set up. I, um, for that tournament, I was throwing the um, Mega Bass um, Spark well, right? of... or the Haze Dong. Which one? It was one what, or the other. What, right? was, what was the first one? The Spark Shad. Spark Shad, yeah, the three-inch Spark Shad. Uh, I, I love that drop shot bait. It's, it's actually, I mean, I used to be the biggest fan of like the Chad shaped worm, but uh, here anymore, I've just been throwing that Spark Shad. Which the Spark Spark Shads get expensive quick. I think it's eight dollars for eight of them. I was gonna say you are not uh you're not one for like the economy range of drop shot baits. <laughs> no, that that if you if you want to just save some money, the spark shot's not the way to go. And and, and the thing about it, about it is is the spark shot might be a little bit better in the current. I think it is. That's why I use it. But everywhere else, is it better? Probably not. It's probably about the same. Um but yeah, um really got into the swim baits on the on the drop shot for sure. Um and uh, on the St. Lawrence River, I was throwing a half ounce weight for the majority of the time. But in uh, some of the depressions, when I was in like you know thirty five to forty foot, I, I would change up to the three quarter ounce. Um, and like I was telling you before, I actually switched up to tungsten for this tournament for the first time ever, and that got extremely expensive. Yeah, tell me about. Let's do that tungsten bit again because you were generally use lead and you swap. I, I always use lead. I never use tungsten for drop shot weights because in my head I think I don't think it's a smart idea because you know you're gonna every fish you, you catch for the most part is gonna throw your weight if it's over three pounds or whatever. Um, and I I just never in a million years thought I would ever use tungsten because you know it's so expensive. And uh, well, I ran out of weights when I was at uh, Champlain, and when I came to the title event, I went to the tackle store and apparently. You, they, they can't sell lead drop shot weights in upstate New York. So all I could buy was, and uh, of course I ordered lead on the internet and got it shipped to me. But um, first day of the tournament, I was throwing tungsten, called 23 pounds. That night, my my lead drop shot weight came in. I go out there day two using lead, and I caught 17 pounds. So <laughs> I don't know if, it, if it's the weight made the difference because you know the tungsten making more noise. But I knew one thing: I was going to switch up. I was going back. I was going back to the tungsten for day for day uh, for day three, and uh, switch back. Caught twenty four pounds. So <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. That is a really tough thing because I know that you're not like supposed to use lead necessarily. But yeah. uh, gosh, it's so economical, you know. It is. But you know, I think I might be like the only guy on tour that doesn't have a t- tungsten sponsor. I should probably step my game up on my sponsors this year. Maybe, Folks, maybe get me a tungsten. Get it, Kurt. We we need this man to have the ultimate in drop shot weights. <laughs> I, I need I need an unlimited supply of tungsten half ounce and three quarter ounce drop shot weights. 
and some three eighth ounce sprinkled in there. Nice. Do you, you know, so going from the shad shape, which is your sort of standard drop shot worm, yeah. to a swim bait, yep. are you fishing that at all differently? Because in my head, generally, you want to reel a swim bait. You don't want to just let it sit yeah. there. But drop shots, so, generally, we just kind of let them sit there. So um, I actually do reel it in when I'm fishing shallow. Um, I caught a lot of fish uh, last year on St. Lawrence fishing shallow with a uh, 316-pound weight and the has dogs. And I would just cast it out, and I would just reel, reel, let the bait hit the bottom, just reel it in real slow. It actually worked extremely well. Like they wouldn't touch it sitting still, shaking it. You know, you had to be reeling it, and they would, they would eat it up. Uh, so I mean, I, I, I might fish a little bit faster than what I would for the shad shape, um, but generally speaking, I mean, not really fishing much different. Nice. Well, uh, Kurt, I feel like I've gotten. A uh, tremendous smallmouth education, as I always do from you. Oh, and, uh, thank you, thank you. Thanks for the thanks for stopping by, and you know, good luck yeah. uh, at the Toyota Series event. I hope you crush. Thanks, man. I hope so too. I appreciate it.